You're listening to Find Your Voice, a podcast made in collaboration with the independent federal member for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the traditional land of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Find Your Voice. My name is Zoe Daniel, and this is a podcast we started ahead of the 2022 federal election to discuss policy issues affecting Goldstein and Australia more broadly. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet. In my case, that's the Bunurung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present on unceded Aboriginal land. Today, we'll be discussing the NDIS. And I'm pleased to say that my guest is Bill Shorten, the Minister for the NDIS and Government Services. As a senior member of the Labor government, Minister Shorten played a key role in establishing the NDIS in 2013 and now has responsibility for fixing up what many think is a broken system. Minister, thank you so much for joining us on Find Your Voice. My pleasure, Zoe. Now, as I said, you were one of the key architects of the NDIS 10 years ago. Coming in as the new minister for the NDIS, can you give us a snapshot of how you would characterise the state of the system? There's a lot of good news in the NDIS. It is transforming lives. There's 560,000 people on the scheme, which is great. But it is a scheme which has lost its way under the previous government seven ministers in nine years. Uh, There were too many uh, capricious decisions, decisions which had no rhyme or reason. It had become a second full-time job for people dealing with the red tape and bureaucracy. And the NDIS, I also think, is in danger of becoming the only lifeboat in the ocean for Australians with disability because now the NDIS exists. Too many other government departments and too many levels of government and just saying everything's an NDIS matter when that was never its intention to cover the whole field of lived experience of disability in Australia. It's a really complicated process when you're either a user of or a carer of a user of the NDIS. How do you untangle that as the minister when there's a degree of urgency because people's lives are being directly affected day to day from being caught in the tangle of that system? Well, the first thing you realise is that you don't want to have a saviour complex. It's the, the solution isn't in the hands of one person. Rather, it's uh, going back to the principles which invigorated its formation. That is of empowerment and co-design. People with lived experience of disability, the people who work within the system, the consumers of it, the people who love them, advocates, people who deliver disability services, they actually hold all the pieces of the puzzle, in my opinion. So the trick is to uh, listen. It's not to try and reinvent the wheel. There's been a lot of good ideas in the past which simply never got acted on. But at the heart of it, it's co-design. So I embrace the complexity. I accept it. What you've got to do is uh, just be really good at distilling the wisdom which already exists and turning it, getting the scheme back on track. So notwithstanding what you've said about the tone of the decision-making, if I could describe it as that, over the last decade around NDIS cases, is there a degree as well of the 
sort of demand for service um, just becoming unmanageable for those who have been managing the system. And I don't even necessarily mean the government executive, um, but those who are actually at the coalface trying yeah. to manage the casework. There's no doubt that there was more unmet need than was originally anticipated when the scheme was created. Uh, there were a lot of Australians just doing it hard in a crisis-driven system. Before the NDIS, you had to be in crisis to get the best allocation of resources, which is just a terrible way to be, that you had to be really badly off before you got attention. But what that's been replaced with is, uh, I think, too much bureaucracy. There are internal pressures on the scheme. I think that we need to reinvest in training up the people working in the scheme. We need to get better quality leadership at the very top, and we're doing that with Kurt Fernley, the first chairperson of the scheme who has lived experience of disability. We're doing that with Rebecca Falkingham, the new CEO. So improving the internal capability, but also we need to look at our tackling fraud and waste. Wherever there's a government, government funds and government payments, it can attract opportunists, uh, just as happened in private vocational education training or long daycare or financial services. So I think we need to focus on making sure that the taxpayer resource, scarce and valuable, is getting to the people it was designed for, people with disability. But then there's also challenges outside the scheme. That is, uh, there's not enough community mental health. Our school system needs to do better for kids with disability. Our housing system needs to support people with disability. The NDIS was never intended for every Australian with a disability. So what we've got to do is lift the standards uh, of disability support outside the scheme, reducing one of the pull factors into the scheme that it's the only lifeboat in the ocean for people with disability. Yeah. So you're currently undertaking a review of the NDIS, which, as I understand it, will be delivered at the end of next year. What What's the aim of that review and what do you hope that that will yield in terms of dealing with the issues that you're talking about? It was a Labor election promise at the last election that we would bring forward the scheduled 10-year review of the scheme uh, to after the election, which is what we've done. We've brought it forward. Uh, we've got two very distinguished Australians, uh, Lisa Paul, PSM, former senior Commonwealth public servant, and Professor Bruce Bonahady, who's chair of the Melbourne University Disability Institute, to lead a steering panel, including very strong disability advocates, such as Kevin Cox, former Queensland Anti-Discrimination Commissioner, Doogie Hurd, head of the ACT, Council for People with Disability, plus many of other very skilled people. The aim of the review is to examine how we make the scheme more true to its original purpose of choice and control. So everything's on the table, but I must hasten to add, we don't think you reform the scheme by just cutting everyone's package uh, with unfair cuts, unexplained changes to people's package. I think there is there are low-hanging fruit to make the scheme operate better. The other thing we'll do is this whole review will be based on the principle of co-design. Uh, people with disability actually know how the scheme should work. 
and we're going to take the time to ask them. The review's due to report no later than October of next year, but where there are improvements that consensus emerges about earlier than then, we intend to do that straight away. So we're not asking people to wait for another 12 months just to, you know, uh, reinvent the scheme. Want to implement the good ideas that people know need to be done and we want to do that as soon as possible. Do you think that with the focus that we've seen more recently on the cost of the NDIS, and that, that is a real concern, that there's a danger of losing public support for the yeah. scheme? Yeah, the scheme has social licence. It was, it's, there's nothing like it in the world where you get an individualised package of support given to the consumer to control. It's, the scheme's based on the philosophy that the best person to make decisions about one's life is that actual person uh, and the people around them rather than a not-for-profit or a government bureaucracy or a large corporation. So it's how we ensure that that individualised scheme delivers on its promise. Now, we've got to watch the trajectory of the increase in expenditure, no doubt. Uh, the community supports the scheme, but they also hear stories about people having a lend of the scheme and, you know, service some service providers just really making themselves NDIS millionaires at the expense of people with disability and the taxpayer. So I've got to knit together a coalition of the taxpayer on one hand and people with disability and their families and supporters and service providers on the other to have a scheme that is value for money and delivers a real safety net. Never forget, as I know you appreciate very well, Zoe, disability can happen to any of us at any time. It can be upon the, uh, in the first 12 or 24 months of the development of a precious little child through to uh, a momentary lapse of concentration on a country road at night time, through to just uh, early onset disabilities for younger people. So it can be any of us. It is a safety net. We've just got to make sure the safety net's being well administered in the interests of people with disability, not rent seekers or others. I note that Amy Oster, the chief economist of PwC, said on Q&A that the NDIS has two main components, funding and the setting up of the rules and regulations. Her, her perspective is that reform will come from the latter and that if you get that right, the funding will work itself out. Do you yeah. think that's true? I, I was on that same show with Amy. I was very impressed by her contribution on the show. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot in what she says. I think that if the uh, rules are clear, if, if there's consistent decision-making, uh, if there's timely and accountable decision-making to people on the scheme, then that makes it easier for everyone. For example, a couple of changes we've already introduced since the election. Uh, on election night, there were about 1,400 people eligible for NDIS, medically fit for discharge from hospital beds, but stuck in hospitals all around Australia, including uh, the Alfred Hospital, which serves your community. Um, that's costing $2,500 a night to keep a person in a hospital bed, and it's not in the best interests of the person in the bed. We managed to reduce that already by about 350 people, freeing up scarce beds and 
resources for hospitals and providing better quality of life for people with disability. That won't necessarily save the NDIS any money, but it saves the overall cost to the community for individuals and collectively. So there, you know, that's how I think we, we have better rules around hospital discharge. Another example is at the time of the election, there were four and a half thousand matters tied up in the AAT, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. You shouldn't need a lawyer to access a government payment in this country. Uh, we've now produced about 2,500 of these legacy cases. Again, just by clearer uh, decision-making, written reasons for decisions, alternative dispute resolution. So I do think that Amy's on her point was sound and we're already walking down that path as well. Yeah, I think I, I've said to you in a previous conversation that the NDIS during the election campaign was one of the top issues that people in my community raised with me and particularly those who'd seen packages arbitrarily cut and ended up in a nightmare vortex of the AAT trying to work through that process. I was therefore somewhat disturbed to see a recent report in the Saturday paper that some architects of robo-debt are now involved in the NDIA and there's a suggestion that they're working out ways to uh, stop NDIS funds for what looks on the face of it to be reasonable purposes. So when you talk about sort of navigating through what rorting is happening or inappropriate use of funds, to what degree is that a two-way street um, in, in regard to both users and, and providers? Well, there's um, several thousand hardworking public servants in the NDI. I don't know the backstory of each of them. We're waiting to see what arises from the Robodet Royal Commission into the scandal of public and welfare administration, the way they um, demonised individuals on welfare, the previous government. Uh, but there's no intent while I'm the minister to have those uh, ruthless algorithms applied to individual circumstances. I don't think that uh, we're on top of every matter in the AAT yet. I've now got 16 independent reviewers reviewing anyone's file who wants a review. It does take time to turn the, the big ship around, uh, but we're not interested in going down the path of the sort of lazy machine decision algorithms that my predecessors used. But I do think the agency needs to be accountable as well as asking people in the system to be accountable. We need to have more written reasons. We need to have better internal review processes. The initial plan that people get when they join the scheme needs to be as thoroughly prepared as possible. I have many anecdotes, and no doubt you'll have had some, Zoe, where people say they have a great meeting before they go on the scheme, and then they get their plan, and it's as if the plan was sent to the wrong person. So I yeah. think there's got to be more transparency, consistency, accountability. I can't change around the culture in the NDIA overnight, but I know that we are beginning to. That's the feedback I'm getting. Just before I let you go, I just want to sort of go to a, a slightly bigger picture point. And it comes from a conversation that I had with an organisation called Amaze, which was formerly Autism Victoria, about transitioning people out of the NDIS or giving people an opportunity beyond the NDIS if they have a desire and capability to work for example, um, and, you know, a whole change of culture that is still required 
in in our businesses, in our uh, corporate environments, to create systems whereby people can participate fully in society in the way that they wish to. And the, the context of this conversation was around workforce shortages, for example, and that various people with different levels of disability want to and can work. Is there sort of a launch pad that can be somehow connected, do you think, to the NDIS to enable that sort of workplace transition and that bigger cultural shift to alleviate that kind of lifeboat syndrome that you talked about? Well, you've gone to the heart of the matter. The challenge of um, giving uh, people with disability in Australia the right to an ordinary life involves all of us, not just a government program. You know, we all know the saying that you've got to be the change that you want to see, but sometimes we need to see the change that we want to be. And that's why we've got to get employers to uh, employ more people with disability. We need the media to have more people in the media with disability. We need more politicians with disability. Um, we've got to demystify disability. Disability is any of us at any time. And at the, the, we shouldn't make people with disability feel like they're strangers in their own body or uh, second-class citizens in their own country. So I think one of the good initiatives that we announced at the election, which we've started now, is with Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott. He set up something called The Field with some uh, modest government support. What that allows people to do is it allows people with disability to go online and hunt around for jobs. Employers put up jobs. But it also lets people with disability uh, talk about themselves affirmatively rather than just um, going through a standard form government program. It also allows employers to explain what sort of jobs they're looking for. And it's a, it's a good way of humanising the uh, search for work. And I think that's... Uh, we need to do more of that. The public sector needs to employ more people with disability. NDIS is not meant to be for life for some people. It should involve supported interventions and at a point then you can not need it. But for many people with their disabilities, there are obviously, all their disabilities are lifelong. I don't want people on the NDIS to feel coerced that somehow there's a limit to the safety net. We'll just have to work with people to give them more choices and options. Well, Minister, I thank you very much for your time today and you will be joining us in Goldstein on the 14th for a public forum. It is sold out, uh, which I think goes to the level of interest in this subject, but we'll distribute some materials from that forum in which you and I will be in a Q&A with some of the members right. of this community. Thanks so much right. for your time. Have a lovely day, Zoe. Bye-bye. The Minister for the NDIS and Government Services, Bill Shorten, and thank you for joining us on Find Your Voice. You can learn more about Zoe and her work in the Australian Parliament at zoedaniel.com.au and if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is authorised by Zoe Daniel, 677 Nepean Highway, Brighton East, Victoria.